Hey, it's Daryl Etherington. Welcome to Found TechCrunch's only podcast. That's not true. There's other. We have other podcasts. The best one, though. I'm here with our my co-host and my eternally remote companion. Never <laughs> shall we meet in person. Oh my gosh, that would be so sad. We've met so many times in person. I actually think it's the only reason we get along. My name is Jordan Crook, and I am his co-host. That's right. As you all know, because you're regular listeners, if you're new, welcome and prepare to be blown away by the greatest show ever made by people. The only, the only TechCrunch podcast. That's right. That's right. And this week on Found, it's like every week, we speak to a different founder of a startup. And specifically this week, we're talking to Job Vandervoort from Remote. So really, the name of the company says it all, but they provide a very specific set of services for remote companies. Basically, they take care of all the heavy lifting when it comes to setting up the legal entities that you need to do to pay people in different countries and give them benefits and make sure that you're compliant with local laws when it comes to employment so that you can easily create a company that has employees all over the world, even if you're just starting out, which is a service that is in growing demand because people are going remote left and right. I mean, it's a really cool conversation. Jordan, I think you'll agree. I couldn't agree more, Daryl. I think almost every conversation that we have is cool. And then you throw Yob in the mix and it's like, can't lose. Yeah. Yob is a cool guy. And I think, I think you'll, you'll, you'll agree with that. Let's just hear it from him and he'll convince you. Hi, Yo. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So we're excited to have you because you work right in a sweet spot for <laughs> me and Jordan and actually most of the people at TechCrunch, you know, pre-pandemic, post-pandemic, during pandemic. A lot of us work remotely and who better to talk about remote work <laughs> than Yo, CEO of Remote. <laughs> <laughs> I like to think so. Yeah. <laughs> that was quite the Which, build up. Thank you, Daryl. <laughs> how did you get how did you get the domain name first of all? <laughs> when I decided to start the company together with Marcelo, my co-founder, I thought, you know, what would be the best way to call it? And as any tech person starting a new project, the first thing you do is get a domain name. Yeah. And yeah. I figured, well, remote.com. I, I haven't heard of a company called like that. So I went there, I saw there was something there, I didn't look very impressive. I figured out who the owner was. I contacted him and I was like can I take this over? And after, you know, a few months of back and forth, we came to an agreement in like, it's a bit of cash, a bit of uh, equity, which uh, yeah. turned out well for him, I would say. Yeah, no, nice. Actually, yeah, that's, I'm going to, I got to camp on more domains <laughs> and, and trade them for equity. I yeah. didn't even think about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like looking back, you know, like, I wish I had the cash at the time, but like, I didn't. So like, it's, I had no choice. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. I mean, so let's get into then actually what remote does. We'll start with first things first, since our listeners don't know, but uh, do you want to give kind of a brief synopsis of the company? Yeah, so we provide global payroll, compliance, and anything that comes with hiring internationally, really. So uh, in particular, if you are a company that wants to hire someone in another country, it's very hard to actually take care of payroll, it's to provide yeah. benefits, and just you know to stay compliant locally. Because if you want to you know, 
employ someone in any other country, you essentially have to start your own entity there. So you have to found a company there, understand how it works to do that there, which is, I can tell from experience, different in every country in the world. And so all of that is a lot. It is very complicated. And what we see is that most companies nowadays, you know, when they hire 10 people, they hire the 10 best people they could find. And they right. can be anywhere in the world. And they turn out to be anywhere in the world. And so you quickly end up with employees in tens of different countries. So we solve that complexity and we remove all of that. So we run payroll. We can employ people locally because we have those entities. We have local experts. And so we really solve international hiring. That's Super smart. And I know, I mean, there's lots of personal anecdotal things, but I've, Jordan maybe doesn't know, but like for a long time, I was just, uh, I was an international contractor for TechCrunch working lump sum. Actually, the, I got my start that way. When I was working for GigaOM back in the day, that's how he always paid me yeah. was lump sum. I learned some hard lessons <laughs> about money management. I would say. <laughs> Because of the tax agreements between Canada and the States, they would just pay me the thing. And then, you know, like I'm tax exempt in the States on the condition that I pay tax in my home country. Right. And like we have the, because of NAFTA basically. So they did that. And I was like, I was, I was young. So I'm like, I don't know. Sure. Great. Yeah. And then <laughs> at the end of the year, tax man comes calling and they're like, you owe us uh, this much money. And I'm like, a what? Uh, <laughs> and I'm supposed to have that now currently to give to you. <laughs> Daryl just can't resist sliding that he's Canadian into every single episode of the podcast. <laughs> like that, it matters at all. <laughs> I, sure I ran into that situation myself. So previously I moved between Portugal and Netherlands several times. And, and this is, you know, several years ago, but yeah, exactly the same. Like you, there should be tax treaties between the countries and within the EU, there's free travel and free labor anywhere. Yeah. I ran into the same issue myself and I had to pay a lot of money to the taxes uh, got double taxed, uh, tried yeah. to claim it back and never got it back. So, Oof. Oh, yeah. man. Yeah, that's, that's pretty brutal. painful. And at the time, I didn't have a dime, so it was actually painful. <laughs> wow. Okay, so did that inspire you to do this, or was it later experience, or how, what was the combination there? No, no, it, did, it didn't inspire me. That just huh. made me uh, not love tax authorities. No, it's um, <laughs> yeah. Before remote, I was at GitLab uh, almost since its founding. Uh, and GitLab is a fully distributed, fully remote company. We were very pragmatic about it. And we were first one of the first companies that was fully remote and grew out to be quite large quite quickly. Right. Um, and, and there we experienced this pain. Like every time we would hire someone in a country we never hired someone before, we had to figure this out. And it turns out it's really hard to figure out and none of the solutions really worked for us. Mm -hmm. None of the service providers that were out there doing it ourselves was really, really painful. And so I left GitLab with you know the hope that more companies would work in this way, distributed, fully remote, um, but also knowing that, well, if something has to change for more companies to work this way, it has to be this. And that's why I found it remote. Right. And, but you left, which we should note for our listeners, like when you left GitLab, it was 2019, right? So it wasn't, yeah. it's not like you left like when pandemic was starting <laughs> and people were like, oh, remote is a big deal and everybody needs to get onto remote. Like people had started to think about it, but not in the way they're thinking about it now, obviously, right? Yeah. And we knew for a long time that this was a problem, this, this thing. And I had that belief that, you know, more companies would work this way. Before GitLab, I was working as a programmer at the company and I had to travel an hour and a half by train every single day to get to the office. I would wow. sit at the office staring at the computer screen for the entire day. I would make long days and I would go back an hour and a half with the train. I never really understood why <laughs> that was necessary to do my job. Like I was right. a good programmer. Yeah. Like I, so I, I just did my job, period. 
Um, yeah. And then I joined GitLab and I realized, well, there was never a point to it. It's just a thing that we do. And so realizing that one, if you don't do that, it gives you massive benefits, right? You can work from anywhere. You gain massive freedoms. Remote work is great forcing function, for example, for flexible hours. And it's much more friendly to people that don't live in metropolitan areas. And the downsides were basically zero. Like there were basically no downsides other than the complexity of, you know, having an international team. So yeah, that's ultimately what led me to believe that remote work is, is the future because it seems so obvious and the benefits are massive. We can talk about right. the benefits of remote work for an hour. And I think we are adherents to this, like myself and Jordan and TechCrunch generally, because that's just the way we've operated. Although, yeah, Jordan can chime in. And I don't remember, like you used to go into the office like once in a while, right? In New York there. There was a period where when Alexia and Eric Eldon were co-editors, Alexia was used to being in the San Francisco office where I think historically there has been a lot more attendance kind of. Right. And she, People just drop by and they have, there was that kind of organic thing, yeah. which does have its advantages. And right? like bigger yeah. days, like there was, you know, like Wednesdays or something, everyone would go in and there was lunch and stuff like that. And she moved from San Francisco to New York and like wanted that. And so she's like, everyone in New York comes to the office now. So there was like a good like six month to 12 month period where I was going in every day. And you could actually probably, if you looked at my stats like my productivity stats you could probably like see it like if you looked at my entire tenure at TechCrunch you could probably be like oh this that's is when, when she was in the, in the office, office. <laughs> yeah because <laughs> they all go and down it wasn't because of a spike in no <laughs> they all go down and I've actually like ever since when I come into the office every once in a while the team will specifically say like we like it better when you're at home and it's not because I'm like some big scary boss. It's because I'm like, who wants to go to lunch? And like, what's everyone doing? And like, let's chit chat about our lives. You know, like I'm just like a social butterfly. So they're like, no one's getting anything done because we feel like we have to listen to you all day. Right. So that's and my that one of the advantages. Experience. I mean, yeah. When I worked at Shopify, it was similar because I would go in and then I would spend a lot of the day chatting and just like, <laughs> you know, hanging out, which is nice, but also not necessarily the point of the whole thing. <laughs> well i think also the office is like one of those things that puts a lot of arbitrary structure in place no matter how open plan it is and like how many cool like sofas you have or whatever by having an office you're essentially saying like we expect you in at this time and we expect you out at this time and anything that has to do with your personal life has to happen outside of those hours for the most part right which means that any sort of blended human productivity can't be blended also, I like hesitate to say this on a podcast, but what the f who cares? Like, I, I don't know that there's anyone out there other than maybe startup founders who are really doing full 10 hours straight of work. And even then, like right. probably oh, no, not God, no. straight, right? I think all of us average more around the five to six range, seven maybe. Some people much less, right? Like three to four because they're productive people who can pump out what they need to pump out quickly. It's silly to have it like an eight hour work day that literally almost half of which is just people is with each other. Yeah. Like or, just like, yeah. oh, I guess I'll uh, look at BuzzFeed or like, well, I wonder what, you know, J Jeremy is up to over there. I'm going to go like, you know, maybe we'll play ping pong. Like, why the f Like I could be doing laundry. <laughs> like I could be showering or washing my dishes or like paying my bills or like something that might actually contribute to my own wellness. But no, I can't do that. Yeah. And the eight hours are arbitrary, right? Like the yeah. eight hours that you spend in the office, like it's just 
someone just came up with it and we do that. There's not a reasoning yeah. behind that that's going to work. Is that something that you have to like, well, let's say it's probably changed obviously over the past year or so, but like, did you have to advocate to clients when you were trying to do sales or stuff? Or like, do you find it's a thing that people come to you understanding already the benefits or like, how does that work for you when you're having those conversations? Yeah. So the customers, not so much because they are already at the point where they've made the decision to do this kind of and stuff. And they need this other stuff fixed. Yeah, right? yeah. But like, because we're called remote, a lot of people reach out to us and asking like, one, should we do it? Should we and I have daily conversations with usually founders that are like, should we do this at all? Like, does it make sense? Uh, up to high level management at very, very large organizations that mm. are, does this, like, what do I have to think about? And it's funny because I basically tell them, well, you just need to work really well. Like, if you have a good organizational culture, if you set up your organization well, you have very little to worry about. The only thing you have to avoid is that, you know, you rely on doing everything in meetings, which I think is the experience that many people have had over the past year and a half, that because your office culture was, well, we just shouted at each other and started <laughs> communicating in a way that doesn't interrupt. And now we're trying to try to do that with Zoom. And we're just going to, you know, constantly be in Zoom meetings to accommodate for the fact that we're not able to work effectively at all without constantly being able to talk to each other. Yeah. Um, but like once you get off of that and once you establish like, well, you know, maybe we should write things down and maybe instead of immediately asking a colleague, you create documentation that you can look at and maybe instead of expecting that everybody immediately replies to every single question you have, you create an expectation that it's within a certain time period so that people can organize their day and they're not also constantly having to be ready to respond to everything. Then everything else will come. Like it's... Mm. It's okay. <laughs> it's not super. It's it's not super hard. It's different, but it's not super hard. But it's interesting that that ends up being something you do so much of. Do you ever get to the point where you're like, "Listen, just go figure this out." <laughs> I don't think you understand my business, <laughs> or do you see it as like pipeline or public service or what? Like you seem to be very patient and willing to speak to people about this. I'm pretty passionate about it. I think again, like a lot of the the problems that our customers and, and prospects and interested are are coming to us with just naivety and they are scared of what is going to happen. Yeah. Um, and maybe they never really thought about what does it really mean? Like, why was I in the office in the first place? Like, what yeah. does it, did it really benefit me? And like, what am I losing? What do I have to do now? And yeah, it's, it's all very scary because, you know, we have this hundred year plus history of being in the office, right? <laughs> like you have yeah. very old movies and you look, how do they go to the office? How do they behave there? It's almost identical to how we were in the office a year and a half ago. I think the only difference is that the computers got a lot smaller or there are computers in the first place. Right. Remote work, as, as we are experiencing it today, that didn't exist. Like it just didn't exist at all 20 years ago. Like the bandwidth wasn't good enough. The software wasn't there. And even at the early days at GitLab, once we started to grow up, we started to reach the limits of video call, concurrent connections and video. Yeah. Uh, and Zoom luckily quickly took off and basically solved it in its entirety. But until then, there was nothing there. There's not an established history of, you know, there's not a schema, not a protocol of like, this is how you work remotely. That's not there. It doesn't exist. And it doesn't exist for any company of any size, like yeah. smart startup or really, really large organizations. It's not just that, you know, we did it early at GitLab and you have companies like Automatic that makes WordPress. That's just two examples. That's not sufficient for the whole world. Right? Right. Like you cannot translate. You cannot take what they do, even though they open source a lot and they make a lot available for how they work. That's not sufficient to you take that and say, well, this applies to every other organization. And so organizations are being put in a position where they have to think about how they work rather than just thinking about what is the work that we produce. And this is exactly why people are scared, because you have to start treating your company, its culture, the way you work, 
as a product, something you have to iterate on, something you have to have explicit thoughts about because it's no longer sufficient to put everybody in office and be like, well, whatever, this is the work we want to do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy because the infrastructure used to seem, you know, yeah, relatively fixed. Like it was like, okay, this is the infrastructure of a company and a job. And then everything else is custom to that. And then you focus your energies on that, right? It's like, what is the output of it? That's what we focus on. And you you see examples of companies not thinking that way and very purposefully, intentionally architecting their culture over time, right? I mean, the most famous one is Apple. Like they think a lot about it and they spend a lot of time and effort doing it and iterate, like you said, right? But it's not like most, most companies didn't do that. They just said, what are the things? And then maybe you would get like, oh, well, let's go do, let's get some of our execs to go do the Six Sigma training or whatever and (laughs) become a Six Sigma black belt. I don't know if I'm dating myself. And then that was it. That was like what you did. So it must be yeah, very terrifying for people to come into this place where it's like, okay, well, how do we do this? And it, it seems like with well, a great opportunity you have is you come in and say like, look, here are a bunch of things that are relatively fixed and that are common across. And we can just take that headache away entirely. And then you can think about these other things, which are still genuinely hard questions, but at least you've got this shit taken care of. Is that is that kind of the approach? Yeah, I, absolutely. I think the scariest question I get is, yeah, but how do you know whether people are doing their job? And it mm, always right. makes me wonder that how did you run your company before? Because if you judge people by how they are sitting in their chair, that's a pretty bad way to measure performance, right? Like yeah. you should have already been looking at their outputs, like being exactly. aware of what they are doing. And if if that's the question you have for me, then like we have such a long way to walk, right? Like if yeah. you, one thing that I see very often, for example, is that some companies have a single manager and then many, many reports, tens of people reporting up to them. So essentially, there's tens of people that don't have someone to talk to about their career and how they're doing it. And if they're stuck and they have no line to, you know, further management, like this is one of the simplest things that companies do wrong, but they got away with it because, you know, we're all in an office together and I can just shout yeah. to each other. Yeah. But yes, that's basically it. And I, I think the lesson is always the same, which is you have to, rather than just getting everything implicitly from the office, from the structure of being all in the same space, you have to think about how are we addressing all these different parts of the organization and then iterate on them. And it includes building a culture that includes collaboration and communication and how you think about that and what is appropriate and includes work times. Yeah, there's a lot of great blueprints, but there's so much to do still. Yeah. Yeah. I think that reminds me when you were talking about like, how does people sit with like my first job out of school was, well, my first job out of school was working at Best Buy for I think a week and a half before I quit to get my real first job out of school, (laughs) which was at a management consulting firm. And it was like a 60 person organization. And the guy who owned it would just walk around quietly the floors of this dusty old building and then he would surprise you he would he would <laughs> just like all of a sudden grab your shoulder and be like what are you up to daryl what are you doing mr etherington and then i'd be like what the f- is going on what is like it would actually make you scare it was like a jump scare tactic and then he would be looking over your shoulder like uh, are you doing the work on the computer and i'm like is this really how you are measuring, but at the time that was very normal. And I think yeah. still is very normal to be like, well, we need this kind of monitoring. We had time tickets and, you know, part of that was for billing or whatever, but like a lot of it was just, and there was time tickets for SGNA and it was just awful, like so excruciating in terms of morale and how people felt about the work they were doing. And you output suffered because people were just focused on this and not really on actually output. Right. Yeah. It's a big problem. Jordan, did you know about my days? That was when I had to wear a full suit 
and go in. And the guy had a super strange collection of Christian art. So there was just like Jesus on the cross paintings all throughout the place and sculpture. It was very weird. Bad time. I don't like to talk about it. <laughs> I had no idea that that was even part of your life, which is weird. I thought I had a pretty good handle on all of the chapters. Um, You're getting deep into our I like <laughs> I like that we still have secrets, Daryl. There's still more to learn. <laughs> Yeah. If you're listening to Found, you're probably already super interested in startups and the overall startup ecosystem. So we've got a great deal for you. We're going to offer you 50% off either a one-year or a two-year subscription to Extra Crunch. Extra Crunch is TechCrunch's premium product offering. And when you go there, you'll get deep dive interviews with some of the top founders in the industry. You'll get market maps on specific verticals and some of the most exciting areas of growth in startup land. You'll also get uh, surveys of some of the top VCs in different areas, including different geographies. So you can subscribe to Extra Crunch at extracrunch.com. That's probably the easiest way. Or if you're already on TechCrunch, follow the links for Extra Crunch and you'll get a prompt to subscribe and then just enter that code that's found, the name of this podcast, during checkout and you'll get 50% off on either a one-year or a two-year subscription. Yo, can you talk to us a little bit about like scaling remote? Because it seems to just have been a rocket ship. Like that sounds very like I'm praising you, but it actually sounds really scary too and terrible. So yeah. <laughs> other than all the money. You employ over 450 people now. Is that what it is at? Or yeah, more maybe? Like that. Yeah. We're now in the 400s almost. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, growth is crazy. And then all your dog fooding, that'd be my other question. Cause obviously you're talking about <laughs> all this stuff. But, yeah. yeah. So we, we started the company in uh, January 2019, and the first year and a half or so, we were just building infrastructure to be able to actually offer our services because we have to go in each country, we have to set up the entities, you know, create local expertise. And that was in four countries only in the beginning. And in May last year, we launched in those four countries. And at the time, we had 15 employees, so 15 people working for a remote, including myself, and only four countries. So we can only serve a small number of customers uh, because it's only if they wanted to hire in one of those four countries, Netherlands, Portugal, UK, uh, one other country. Today, we have almost a year later, we had 300 employees now, wow. almost 400. Uh, so it grew incredibly fast. And I, I sort of went through this with GitLab, but this is much faster than that because mm-hmm. in the time that we... I grew from those 15 to, you know, now 400, we raised 490 something dollars. So a a lot of money. (laughs) Yeah, it's been, uh, it's been really crazy. Uh, Like, I think that's it. I think Jordan, as you're saying, scary is an appropriate word. Although maybe in hindsight, it's scary because in the moment we're just, and still today, we're just very busy with trying to do this in the right way. And so when we started it, Back in January, the first thing we did is like we established our company values. So there are kindness, ownership, excellence, transparency, and ambition. Kindness being the first one uh, for good reason, because both Marcelo, my co-founder, and I, we were tired of working with assholes our whole lives. So we didn't want that. And we didn't want to create that kind of company culture. And we also want to create a really inclusive company. So and that is basically what we cling is a very strong word, but what, <laughs> that's what we try to build a company on top of, on top of those values. And so um, and I think that allows us to scale this quickly to say, well, we're a startup, so it's very hard. There's a lot of pressure on everybody. A lot of things go wrong all the time because, you know, something that worked this month, next month is going to be a hundred times bigger, right? Like the pro- if it's a problem, it's going to be a hundred times more complex. If it's a good thing, it's going to be a hundred times of that, which is also overwhelming. Yeah. Um, 
but as long as we are kind to each other uh, and we promote a company where you know we take ownership and we want to make sure that things are good and we are transparent in the way we communicate to our to each other but also to our customers, then we should be able to do this. And that's basically how we built the company. That's it. Uh, I think. And then, like in terms of dog fooding, that's of course the beauty of it. If you want to scale this fast, one of the problems that you encounter is can you actually find and hire people fast enough? Like right. you have to be able to. You have to interview everybody. You can't just like <laughs> randomly pick. Uh, it's no longer picking off the street. It's picking them off the internet. But you can't just do that. So we have to properly interview people and work with people that we believe align with our values or are able to align with our values. And that was certainly a challenge. But the beauty is, is that because we used our own product, we could hire almost anywhere in the world. And actually, right. many times we pilot new countries with people that we want to hire. So we have several people now in countries that are not available yet for our customers to hire people in, but we have our own people in because they're oh, great. a little bit more forgiving on like, <laughs> it's not working because we're yeah, hiring yeah. them to help with that, but also just to try it. So yes, we very much use it. We have employees in more than 50 countries right now. I think the the countries that people have heard least about, we have an engineer in Kyrgyzstan, hmm. uh, we have people in Zambia, Namibia. So yeah, it's it, all over the world. That's awesome. And then, yeah, once you're, you're kind of like beta testing that yourself and then once it's ready, you can roll it out. So it's, it's like double benefit, right? Yeah. I mean, it can be too much of a beta because we want to make sure people actually get the money. Yeah. <laughs> like, we're still, like we very much still owe them the money. It's like, it can't be too much of a beta. Like it still takes us a while to roll out, but, but yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Do you find, is it affecting the type of product you produce? Is it affecting product pipeline to have this kind of like a perspectives that span so many different countries or like what's the impact on culture, I guess, is the, is the big question there. Well, I think, you know, we have a very heterogeneous culture. Like it's mm. many different kinds of people from many different kinds of places in the world. I think the one thing that binds us is that one, we work at the same company and we all speak English. <laughs> that's basically <laughs> it. And I think that's very nice. Like, I don't think there's like a dominant national culture at remote it's like it doesn't feel like an american organization neither me or my co-founder are american i'm dutch and he's portuguese but it also doesn't feel like a dutch or portuguese company for that for that matter it just feels like a whole bunch of people building something cool together and I, for sure i mean there's been ample research that has shown that the, the more diverse your company culture is the better it is for decision making which ultimately leads into you know a kind of product that you build but Above any and all, I just really like it. Like, it's just mm. really fun to work with people from all over the world, right? Like, it's beyond, like, the core work that you're doing and the product that you're building. It's just really interesting to get so much of the world, especially now that you can't travel at all. Yeah, uh, We get to see glimpses of, of different cultures and different ways of, of living. And I, I think that's really fun. Nice. Yeah. I think we have some of the same benefits at TechCrunch. Like, I, you know, I don't know, Jordan, I truly do appreciate that part of it. We have a preponderance of Americans. We are overweight on Americans, I would say. But <laughs> Jordan, there's no video on the podcast, really Clever, don't you? <laughs> overweight on Americans. So pleased no, with themselves. No, no, no. no. Oh you God. always mean it. Okay. First of oh. all. Secondly, yeah, I do feel lucky. I always hate when you're about to say something really great about TechCrunch. You're like, I don't know about Jordan, though. She probably hates that. <laughs> she probably hates that there are a bunch of people who are different from her that she has to learn from. Stupid Jordan. That's, that's the tagline for the, for the show. Um yeah, no, I, th I will say, too, that it's weird to sh think about it that way, but it's definitely shifting that way. And I see it uh, spreading out from just kind of my core tech experience to other industries and stuff as well now, right? Where you have the companies are kind of stateless, but in like a very good way, right? It's like 
oh yeah, that's not beholden to any one particular thing. It's just a company that's serving its purpose. And then it has this this employee base that is very diverse and multicultural and multi-perspectival, right? But like even my partner, so she just left her other job for a job because they were fully remote. Like that was yeah. why. So, you know, the company that she was at previously was starting to starting to sound the alarm bells about like, get ready for back to the office. And she was like, I'm never doing that again. No yeah. chance. And when I found one, which like it's an American company technically, but the founder is French. Right. And like all the people are all over the world. Although they need your service because she's doing the contract thing and oh, she needs the, to, to find me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I will have I, I, I think, info. <laughs> I think, I think one of the interesting things that has happened is like over the past year and a half. And like the reason that I don't think we'll ever go back to a majority in office is that exactly the situation of your partner, which is it's not the employers that know or care. It's that every individual in the planet knows that, well, I can do my work remotely. So if you're not going to let me, I'm going to go to someone else that will let me and like great employers will always look for talent and talent demands flexibility and where I can work from and that will drive it and that will drive remote work forever. It's, it's exactly what we're seeing. We don't see any like pullback of demand. Like we only see an increase, like more and more companies are going to do this exactly for that reason. And you're seeing a lot more like just chatter in the last year and a half and particularly in the last few months, I feel like over the summer around three-day weekends and what constitutes a work day. There's a bit of like a worker revolution underway, right? Where it's, we've all known exactly what we're capable of doing and how we can do it best. And all the arbitrary rules felt like, okay, well, that was just like the world we lived in. And like all the folks on top had kind of like unified in that. So like there wasn't a whole lot of option. And then this option gets forced and it opens up all these other avenues too, where you can essentially look around and say like, not only was that kind of arbitrary and stupid and didn't really make sense, but it's also like disrespectful, right? Like it's, mm, yeah. it's somewhat disrespectful because you're essentially saying like, you're a baby and I have to be like looking over <laughs> your shoulder and like telling <laughs> you what to do in order for you to get anything done. And it's, there's an emotional piece wrapped up in it too. Where it's like, no, if you don't trust me and you can't give me autonomy, then I can go somewhere where I'm trusted and have autonomy, you know? Right. It's, it's the inhibiting of, of freedom, right? Like that's what I, to me, remote work is all about freedom. It's not just around the trust plays a very big factor in this, but also just the fact that I, I can live my life. I want to mm. live my life and sure, I want to do some work, but like, honestly, work is not my life. Like no. my life is what I want it to be. And like work is, is for me a way to make money so I can support my family and I can support myself and I can, you know, enjoy a particular challenge, but it's not what my life is about. And I think the model of saying, well, five days a week, your life is ours. <laughs> I think that's gone. Like yes. It shouldn't be like that. Work should just be a facet of your life and maybe a big facet if you spend a lot of hours there, but it should not be the leading thing. The leading no, thing and should that should be, be your choice, yeah. right? Yeah. I had this conversation with a colleague of ours today, Jordan. Oh, where, really? You know, they, I won't even put a gender in this. Name drop. Uh, <laughs> but they were like, you know, oh, I had this news. I had this over Saturday, but I was not allowed to work. And I was like, I think that's a good rule. <laughs> and they were like, it wasn't my rule, but I agreed to it because there are more important things in life. And I didn't type this, but I should have typed this. I should have said, 
literally almost everything is more important in life. Right. Like, yeah. But you know, I don't want, I don't want him to just log off. <laughs> so it's a him. Oh no. I can't. <laughs> I'm like the last person to no, be like, why either. weren't you writing on Saturday? <laughs> um, wow. Yeah. I mean, so one of the things I wanted to ask you was like, you obviously have like a lot of data, not just around the minutia and the money and the details around remote work, but like how these organizations do operate. And there's a lot of like, here's how to do it right? Uh, Like out on the internet, but like, what should people like not be doing? There are founders in the audience who are like, oh, I'm going to build a fully distributed or I'm going to go fully distributed or I'm going to stay fully distributed. And I really want to scale. I want to go from like 20 Mm -hmm. employees to like 120 employees in the next year. What should they not be doing? Like what are the big pitfalls of running a distributed workforce? Uh, I, I mean, the biggest one is just always being on calls. Like and requiring your team to always be on calls. Like it makes you incredibly inflexible because if you have a global team, you know, they have to call in in those kind of times. But it also just it kills you. It kills everybody. Like it's just yeah dreadful. I think mean, no one likes that. Like it it removes so many benefits from remote work. The other big one is going hybrid. So where you say I have an office team and I have a remote team, and those those are maybe exclusive, right? So we like there's a team that mostly goes to the office, and there's a team that's only remote. Uh, that creates like an A and B team kind of situation yeah. where, you know, the team in office is really well connected with each other uh, and they will forget not, you know, not because of any reasoning, but like just because that happens, they will forget to document things. They will forget to write them. They will forget to make them accessible to remote and everybody's remote will feel like, well, I'm out of the loop always. Mm-hmm. Same actually happens if you have a team that's too distributed. So if you hire a single person that's many times on the way, Unless they work really weird hours, it can be very hard for them to be part of the team. So I I think you should build a distributed team and I think you should hire all over the world. But I do think you have to be thoughtful about how do you build your team in terms of time zones? Because if there's a weight of people in a particular time zone, then you should not hire too far away from that because those people really feel out of the loop and, and isolated. And, you know, you can be, the, you know, an amazing organization working asynchronously really, really well, but they will still feel like, well... You know, I wake up, there's a million things I've missed, and then I'm shooting messages into the ether and then to see tomorrow what the reply is, right? And like, that's inevitable. Like, time zones are inevitable. You can do whatever you want. You can build the most amazing company, but time zones are inevitable. That's about it. Like, other than that, I think we still have to learn like Mm -hmm. lots, which is is another one, which is like, don't copy one of those. This is how you do it. Because I think many of them have opposing thoughts about it. And... And honestly, I see a lot of them from companies that have barely worked remotely, <laughs> which is like, or like yeah. hasn't, haven't done it at scale, or they have only like people are like we've been do doing that. this for six months now, and yeah. here's all the lessons. It's like those are there's is, no lessons there. <laughs> yeah, we're you don't you haven't even gone through full seasonality yet. Come on. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think a lot of things around compensation are very tricky. It's a super hot topic in, yeah. in remote work as well. Uh, I don't think there's like a solution that fits all. I definitely don't think like paying everybody the same salary is something that's going to work for everybody. Like right. <laughs> everybody will argue for this, but then the realization comes that well, then we pay everybody low salary, um, and that's not going to work out. So that that's another one where it's like it's just it's unsolved. Uh, what are some what other is. like revolutionary? Maybe this isn't revolutionary, but like my partner works in pharma, so they have like Fuck you money, you know. Um, <laughs> And they have a lot of like perks and benefits, one of which being like unlimited PTO, which like no one 
that the company takes yeah. advantage of, right? Like it's almost like a mind from the employer yeah. to be like, yeah, take off whenever you want, wink, wink, you know? And like, everyone's <laughs> like, we can never take off. Like we don't, what's appropriate. So yeah. like, but, but that seems awesome. I would dig that. There are a bunch of things, right? Like, I mean, I don't think this one's actually revolutionary or debatable, but like maternity and paternity leave is absolutely abysmal in the U.S. In fact, yeah, I think we had someone at TechCrunch at one point who for not just solely for this reason, but like strategically moved out of the U.S. ahead of getting pregnant because they were like, I'm going to get actual time with my small child, right? Like mm. they're not even like, I don't know how what six week old kids do, but like nothing. Right, like they don't open their they eyes. Like they don't even night. know you at that point, and you're back to work. Like it's, I don't know. I'm uh, just wondering about like some of the policies and company structure type things that are resonant to you as like talent retention and acquisition, attraction. and yeah. I think actually the examples that you gave are very relevant, which is you set really sane baselines or like sane floors of like benefits. So, for example you know, uh, maternity, paternity leave to say, well, at this company, we have a minimum of X weeks, right? Like rather than saying like the US, which is like three days for fathers or something. Yes. Insane like that. Yeah. Um, say, look, if you, if you, if you or your partner have or adopt a child, then uh, you're, you'll be forced to take off six weeks at least, like and up to for maybe however long you need, right? For example, a thing that we do internally at remote is that we have a global minimum pay because if you hire all over the world, then you can hire people and they would be happy to accept to work for an extremely low salary right. relative to what you would be paying the average person in the US. Not even in, like in, in a hot zone, but like anywhere in the US, um, you could pay someone maybe $10,000 a year. And so we say, well, we have a global minimum of like 40000 US and then everybody makes at least that. Like if, if you were to accept something less, we will pay you that. Hmm. Um and then like with unlimited PTO, so we have something similar at remote, but we set a minimum, which is like you have to take, it's unlimited, like we will, will not tell you to take off less time off, but you have to take at least this amount of days. That's because if you don't do that, like it. you don't, you don't have like, you don't have a reasonable schedule. Yeah. Right? Like you, you're, you have to take time off. You have to take care of yourself. And I it absolves the, the people who are to who are like feel guilty about it. Like they're it absolves them of all of those feelings of personal responsibility about like you're missing out or whatever. Because that's the frequent thing that comes up, right? It's like yeah. I cannot take this time off because I'll miss out or I'll be so behind when I come back. And if you enforce the minimum, it's like this is for the same for everybody. Like everybody is in this boat. You can relax about it, and I feel like that gives them permission to relax about it. But, I think self care is a skill that you have to master now, and and one that is like part of your performance. So if you don't take enough days off, it's a performance problem because mm. you will not function well. The same as if you make many overwork, if you work a lot or you work many hours, like that's a problem that you have to solve yourself because if the impact of you working less hours is on the company, that's for the company to solve, right? Like we have to hire more people, we have to like reduce the workload on this person. So the skill that you as an individual have to master is like, how do I care for myself? How to make sure I disconnect, which is really hard, right? In a remote setting, I'm in my house and across from here is my bedroom. So I could just walk from the bedroom straight to work and I can be working, you know, every hour of the day that my kids don't need me. That's not healthy. So right. I have to make sure that I, I disconnect. And so one of the ways to address this is as a company to offer like mental health benefits, right? So there's we do this at remote, for example, where we work together with an organization so that everybody gets access to therapy and like they have like 10 therapy sessions a year covered at least. I think those are good ways to do it. Mm. 
Yeah, that is another one that I think I would like. This is just me and Jordan are just shocked into silence thinking about like we're shopping essentially, <laughs> right? I wish that, yeah. For well, this is a browsing <laughs> session. Um, no, it's I do a feel like try. <laughs> we. <laughs> I feel like though, and you probably feel this way too, Yoke. But we're like Daryl and I were working remotely. Daryl went into the office at Shopify and some other places and stuff. But I think for most of our career, we've been at our own homes, like just banging yep. it out. We had to learn a lot of lessons earlier on. I, I remember times early in my career where I got out of bed and straight on the computer and would like not know how to stop, right? Like answering yeah. the emails and the, all that stuff. And there's probably times where I've swinged the opposite direction too mm-hmm. and been like, oh, it's three o'clock, like later dudes, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. And so I feel like we got like, ahead of the curve in terms of everyone else who had to do it in 2020 and had to like figure it out. And I'm sure that you feel that way too, you have like coming from GitLab and being really ultra prepared almost for COVID, right? Like, I mean, none of us were fully prepared for what happened to the world, but there's certain things where it was like, I remember people being like, Oh, what's it like working from home? I was like, well, for the last 10 years, it's been ultimately pleasant. Nothing's changed work-wise for me, really. How's that been for you? Yeah, I mean, basically the same. My wife is a scientist, and so she would work crazy hours in the early days that I joined GitLab. And so I worked crazy hours. I just always worked. Like, Mm. I never never stopped. Uh, (laughs) I didn't have kids at the time, so, like, it was super easy. I only had to walk my dog once in a while. Yeah, I... Before COVID, I had my daughter and that's basically, that was for me the forcing function is like, I have to like create a proper schedule and stick to that because otherwise I'm constantly, I never feel like I'm doing a good job at anything I'm doing. Because yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, you know, if I'm taking care of my daughter, but like I keep checking my phone or work or like I don't disconnect from work, then I, I'm only half there and then I feel frustrated in both directions. Or if I don't make sure that I block enough time to take care of her, then I'll be always stressed because I have to get right. back to work. And so it took me a while to learn that. But yeah, I mean, for me, I guess for me, it was kids too. <laughs> that forced me to to make this separation because before that, I just always worked and, and I enjoyed it. But it's definitely not very healthy to do that. Yeah, but that is a useful and an undeniable forcing function, right? It's like, well, this yeah. is a literal imperative. It's a child. I need to take care of it, right? Like, so, and Jordan has been witness to some of them where I, you know, I've definitely had burnout times where I was just like, well, I went too hard for too long and... Now I can't do anything at all for it's going to be whatever, two weeks or like there's just a time where I am completely out of gas and have to reset. So that's another forcing function. But ideally, you don't get there. <laughs> ideally, well, yes. And Daryl's one of those yeah. ones you have to send home, right? Because it's not like he's like, I mean, I feel like in the, more recently he's gotten a lot better about being like, yeah, like I'm feeling that burnout coming, like I'm going to go take care of it. But there was a time where burnout would come and he would just like not be a happy boy but he didn't want to go right. anywhere <laughs> like you need to yeah. leave right now <laughs> go, go somewhere else yeah that's like the only because you were talking about lessons and like you know and and advice and looking for templates and stuff and it is very hard and i think you're right that like and it's not replicable in the same way too it's kind of that classic adage of like people are always like oh look at apple and look at how steve jobs did stuff and then apply that and it's like no no no, don't do that never do that that's a very unique business and most of the stuff that they do there will not work anywhere else right (laughs) but it's like that for everything for for remote at the moment right like it's kind of a wild west moment where you really need to let your culture guide you and let the business guide you i mean you talked about 
signals. So like, what do you look for for signal of like, why is this working well? Or why do I know this is working well? And how do other companies know, oh, this is working well when you're looking at building a remote culture, you know? I, the best signal is to just ask people, right? Mm. To, to get an impression from people. And, and you can do that, you know, qualitatively by just speaking one-on-one with people and saying like, do you feel happy? Like, do you like this job? And people will very, you know, if you build a good rapport with someone, they will quickly give you the feedback that it's great or that they feel isolated or whatever else. I think those are very important things to look out for. Do people feel alone or do they feel uh, good? Do they feel productive or do they feel like they're constantly have to be on guard, for example, for pings on Slack, which is like one of those things that can be really killing like getting a lot of notifications, yep. but it's also very manageable because if you teach people well, you don't have to respond to things all the time and you just turn yourself on off, like I'm away, I'm not working. When you're not working, then that's completely okay. Like, so I think that's one of them. And I also just doing it quantitatively. So if you have a larger organization, you know, like we have, then beyond just asking people one-on-ones between managers, we also do regular surveys. Like, do you, you know, do you feel like you can disconnect? Do you feel belonging with this company? Do you do you align yourself with the mission and the, and the values of the company? Because those are ultimately the like the foundations of you doing it well. Like yeah. people feel like I think those are are very important things. And then as you start to grow the organization, it's very difficult to you will not have a single culture across a large organization. Right. Just as right. like like any business that gets big that was in offices, like it's floor of the office is going to be different and there's going to be different people and they are, are more closely connected you know at that point you also sort of have to and honestly i think that's one of the big lessons that i've had over the past year or two is that larger organizations they started out trying to optimize for well we're all remote how do we make sure that everybody connects i'm like right. but in office no one you know, the 400 people are not going to connect Doesn't with happen. the other yeah. 399 <laughs> people so you have to sort of accept that within your organization is going to be little cultures and pockets of people that organize themselves and survey those and talk with those and see if they are doing well. Um, you know, if the output is good, that's a good indicator. Yeah. Like if the work is good, but the best, the best thing you can see is if no one leaves your company. Right. <laughs> like yeah. People Retention. take time yeah. off regularly. <laughs> no one leaves the company and people, you know, generally report in, in, in being happy. Yeah. And like, yeah, other than that, you know, it's same things as before, right? Like look at retention, look at retention across like types of people. <laughs> that's a yeah. really important one. If you, you have a problem where, you know, all the women in your company walk away, then that's a very obvious thing to solve for. And of course, that's something that companies should have been looking at for a long time. Right. I like that you admitted there, because I think there's a, there's always a tendency I see to, to like want to enforce or move towards like a monoculture, like something very implacable and like common across the company. And then it's more interesting to hear about, and I think more productive to hear about guiding principles, but then also embracing a variety of cultures. And you, yeah. I mean, you talked about heterogeneous workplaces before, but I think that's something that's lost. It's like, well, we don't, we just got an email for instance, like, Oh, we all bleed purple. Yahoo. Okay. That's great. <laughs> but like, not actually that helpful, especially for us who have no, we don't identify with that at all. Right. Why wouldn't you come to us where we are and try to find some way that, that we identify with that. Right. Yeah, exactly. I think, unfortunately, we're like almost out of time, but I did, there was actually one question I wanted to ask you too, because I've seen recently this thing about managers. Like there's, there's like hot takes that I've seen where it's like, well, managers are finding, what do I do in a remote workforce <laughs> world? <laughs> yeah. Which is, is like, like you're laughing at, but I'm laughing at too, but you're laughing at because there's a kernel of truth. It's like, what did yeah. they do before? Right. But like, 
it sounds like you have really, you've figured out managerial structure and fewer reports, but like, how do you advise people to be a manager in a remote world? Well, yeah, that question, I laugh at it because it's like, well, what do you use before? Like knowing someone's height and how they smell, that will determine how you, how good of a worker they are, how you're going to manage them. Because that's like, like, that's the big difference. So yeah. I, I think being a good manager, the basis of being a good manager is being a coach and being there for someone and like having like a really simple structure, which is have regular one-on-ones weekly, maybe every two weeks, but like no less than that. Don't have too many reports if you can, you know, if your organization can support it, five to eight at most, right? Because then you know what is going on. You can build a yeah. relationship with all of these people. You can coach them. You can can listen to them. And then when you have a one-on-one with the person, have an agenda. And that agenda has to be, you know, mostly filled by the report. And the point of that is we discuss things that are between us and and no work that happens transparently, that happens out there that other workers can see. Like the point is, is that we discuss like you, your career, me as a manager, how I am doing as a manager, how we can do better, how we can improve things, how we can improve the organization, but specifically what is happening between us. And then you act as a coach, you can act as a mentor, you can act as someone that lifts someone else up rather than focusing on just the output because the output is there. It's already there. You don't need to have a call to right. look at the output and to determine if it's good or not. If it's not good, this is also a great opportunity to give that feedback and say, you know, your performance is not to the level that we want and this is how we're going to address this or let's make a plan for it. But that's it. Like, that's it. Just be a good person <laughs> to this person. And like, this is the entire structure that you need. And beyond that, you just, you know, be there for your team and like, communicate with them, uh, make yourself available to them, help them get better at the work, unblock them. That's it. Yeah. what you have to do as a manager. Your job is not to evaluate people. Your job is to make sure people are doing the best possible job they can. And if they can't, you help them get there. And part of that is the examples that you were talking about earlier. Sometimes sending people home and telling them to go on vacation. Like it's, especially in this time, it's like super important right. part of being a good manager. Yeah, great. All right. We did it. We learned how to be a good manager. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you can package it and sell it. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> no, that is great though. Cause yeah, it's just, I'm so funny. I see these, I think there was like wall street journal stuff, but they, it was like managers are at a loss. Like, what do they do? I'm like, what were you doing before? Were you just yeah. an ominous presence? Like that was your whole role previously. I don't understand, but yeah. 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 That's about, that's all we got time for. But, Yo, that was fantastic. I really enjoyed talking to you. Also, kudos on having definitely the best AV setup now, I think, Isha. What do you think? <laughs> Pretty good. Yeah. All right. So that was our chat with Yob from Remote. Remote.com, an amazing URL and a great company. I love the tidbit about the remote.com URL being sold for equity or bought for equity. Yeah. Yeah, we should have asked him how much that equity is worth now. And then we could have, well, if we asked him how much equity he paid and then how much it was worth now, we could backwards engineer the valuation. I actually think the valuation is kind of out there, right? (laughs) Well, as of July 2021, so two months ago, the report was $1 billion, which is kind of crazy or 1 billion plus, I'm sorry. Because the company launched in 2019. So, I mean, there's the thing where like, this is, clearly in high demand. And then also the thing where coronavirus turned the entire world remote and, you know, sometimes you just win. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it definitely one of these cases of right place, right time, I think for their growth trajectory. I think the idea is a solid one pandemic or not, and they would have done fine with it, but it really 
it really threw some gas on their on their trajectory there. But it was cool to talk to. So Yob, something we didn't even talk about on the show, but Yob is the host of his own podcast about remote work, which is why he was a great resource to talk to about remote work. But yeah, I found it really compelling to talk about especially culture and like how to do those things. And I also thought it was pretty honest for somebody who, you know, does spend a lot of time thinking about this and, and providing advice on it to also admit that there's no real playbook. Right. Cause you could see it very easily being something where he would be like, I'm the authority. Here's how you do it. And here's how you do it. Well, every time, please give me some money, but he's not about that. He just wants to help people figure it out. Right? Yeah. It would have been really easy for him to be like, here's the 10 step process for setting up a distributed workforce. Right. But he's like, yeah. Oh, we're just beginning. And anybody that says that they like have it fully figured out is probably lying. But then also he was really clear about the fact that it was not a one size fits all. There are some pretty clear don'ts that I thought we heard from him, which was cool. But he's like the rest, you just like, figure it out you know like you're building two products at once essentially i i love the bit where he was like you're building the product that you're building that your company sells or offers to users and then you're building like a product of what your company is and how it functions and works and both of them are changing you know all the time so yeah he's a very intentional uh, architect of like the structure of his own company which probably comes from many years experience at other companies that had similar fast growth and in a remote context like at GitLab specifically so I think yeah there there are a few people who I would trust more on the subject besides maybe yourself Jordan and me of course since yeah. we are remote I mean people. I don't really trust anyone as much as I trust you Daryl that's true generally, yeah. But what about on company building? I don't know. On don't company know. building, maybe some, some <laughs> things, some parts of company building, I think you really understand. Um, sure, yes. And right. remote work, yeah, I think we're both, I mean, as expert as one can be, I've never, I've the only job I ever worked in an office was the my internship in college. I've never had to report wow. into an office for work in my adult career, so... I think that's about as expert as one could be, probably. Although I've only done it at one company. So I'm an expert on being a remote worker for TechCrunch. Which is all you really need to just apply that everywhere else and it'll be fine. Actually, it kind of sets you up poorly for everywhere else. Thanks. (laughs) Hire me, folks. Uh, uh, But one thing I was that we talked about with Yobe that I then realized after, you know, he was talking about one of the best parts about remote work is that it's really about work fitting around life and not the other way around, which is a point of view that is like, seems obvious, but is often missed. I think especially in the American context, because there's a sort of fetishism for like, I was about to say, yeah, Yeah. like you'd be hard pressed to find an American, even like the most well-adjusted American founder is likely not going to be like, my life isn't my work, especially as a founder, right? Like that's almost like blasphemy. It's one thing to be like a middle manager and be like, yeah, I work to pay the rent, right? And I like enjoy my life outside of it. Totally different to hear a founder do that. And I think that has to do with the fact that he's not American first and foremost, but yeah. I think that's a a strategy to live by, to be honest, right? Like work, it's not that work, that doesn't necessarily mean that your work isn't fulfilling, right? Or that it doesn't like bring challenge and excitement and new social situations into your life. But if that's all there is, what are you going to look back on? You know, like, what are you... I don't know. There's all those, a lot all those KPIs. All those KPIs you racked oh, up. All those metrics, man. I'm old age, just sitting in my rocking <laughs> chair, flipping through the metrics. <laughs> the PVs. They were so good. <laughs> Let's go revisit that A-B test from 2021. Let's take a look at yeah, that. How'd right. that go? 
Yeah, no, I, I love that part. And I, it did make me think about times in the past when I have worked in an office, which is a bit more than you have, Jordan. But like, you know, I worked at Shopify, but and we would be in the office and, you know, it would be like 10 a.m. or something. And I would be like, well, I'm going to go to Marshall's for a while. And people would be like, what do you mean? Like, it's the middle of the work day. <laughs> it's not you're not on lunch or anything. I'm like, yeah, but I'm not doing anything right now. Why don't I go to Marshall's? It's not going to be busy there because it's the middle of the work day. And that's like, that's what the freedom you experience and take for granted if you've like worked for so long in a remote context that I think you was alluding to there. Yeah, that could really like drive you crazy too. And also, yeah. this is the first time I've learned that you're a Marshall's fan. So that's, there's well, there was one right, there's right, a right nearby. <laughs> Every day. It was more just that it was there. And you know, it's a good thing for like basics. If you just oh, want yeah. basics. Yeah. 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 You need a candle or something. You need a towel. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. This has been an advertisement for Marshalls, but not actually. If Marshalls wants to shoot us a check for you could find the information on where to send that easily. Yeah, they should please do that as soon as possible. And leave us a review, Marshalls, <laughs> a corporate head office, uh, or everyone else. Just leave us a review on iTunes, on your podcast platform of choice. Five stars. Tell us how great we are. We could read it out on the air in a future yeah, episode. We promise. Yeah. Found is hosted by myself, TechCrunch News Editor Daryl Etherington, and TechCrunch Managing Editor Jordan Crook. We are produced by Ashok Kulkarni and edited by Grace Menenhall, and Maggie Stamitz is our associate producer. TechCrunch's audio products are managed by Henry Pickovit. Our guest this week was Yob Vandervoort, co-founder and CEO at Remote. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and on Twitter at twitter.com slash found. You can also email us at found at techcrunch.com, and you can call us and leave us a voicemail at 510-936-1618. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week.